0: Isso não... How you doing, everyone? I'm Ross Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. My guest is the man who pulled off the most important deal in the history of your New York football giants. I'm talking, of course, about their former general manager of the Big Blue, Mr. Ernie Accorsi. So like I said, listen up, because I guarantee you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right. He was the assistant Giants GM from 1994 to 97 and then took over for the man who brought him to the Big Blue, George Young. And he was there as the GM from 1998 to 2007. So without further ado, I give you Mr. Ernie O'Coursey. Ernie. How are you, my friend?
2: I'm good, Russ. It's a pleasure being
0: with you, as always. A pleasure uh, to have you on. There's there's tons and tons I want to talk about, but let's start with the point I made in the open. The most important deal in the history of the Giants. The 2004 draft, of course, is what I'm talking about. With the fourth overall pick, you take Phillip Rivers. Pretty good quarterback. You then trade him along with not one, not two, but three draft picks. A third rounder in 2004, a first and a fifth rounder in 2005 for the number one overall pick, Eli Manning. The rest, of course, history, two Super Bowl championships later, and now entering his 15th season, Eli's still a giant. Now, a lot of teams would just love to have Philip Rivers. Ernie, why did you have to have Eli
2: Manning? Well, well, first of all, Russ, is, and uh, and I say this with all respect because he's had a tremendous career. Uh, I didn't pick if, Phillips Rivers was not our second choice. Ben Roethlisberger was our second choice. <laughs> but you, you can't. by technically, you cannot draft a player for another team. Uh, you can draft a player and trade that player. Right. But I can't say I'm for uh, you know. This agreement has been made, and for San Diego, I'm picky. So I took a risk there because the league was not going to support my claim. Well, they promised me that you know they, they were going to make this trade. They just backed out because all along our backup plan was Roethlisberger, mm-hmm. and it, you know it didn't look like I was going to be able to make the trade for Eli. It just I hadn't heard from JT Smith, and I, I just I, I didn't think it was going to happen until about halfway through the fifteen minutes. Uh, that we had before we made our pick. So when I, I mean, it, when I made that trade, I held my breath. Now Rivers is a terrific quarterback, but Rob, you know how it is in the draft—you you fall in love with certain players, and and Roethlisberger was my second choice. We we all felt strongly about Eli Manning, and, and we thought that it was a rumor that he might come out after his junior year at the University of Mississippi because the team was not very good. I don't think there was a player on his team that ever played in the National Football League. Uh, there might have been a receiver who had a cup of coffee. And and because of that, I went down and saw him uh, really froze to death. <laughs> they made me sit outside uh, <laughs> for a game in November against Auburn, which had about three number one picks on that team. Uh, and he, he just carried the team and put them ahead two or three different times. And finally, uh, you know, the defense couldn't hold Auburn. And finally took the team down to field one last time in the final seconds and through an interception. The next year, Mississippi went to the Cotton Bowl, and he won the Cotton Bowl. Um, so I saw a team that's surrounded by great, great talent and a quarterback who carried the team and was a championship quarterback. And, I, and I you know, I came into the league with Unitas. So my whole mentality about, quarterback number one, is I, I think it's the most important position in sports, really. Um, and secondly, that I don't care about statistics or quarterback ratings or – can he win a championship, and can he win it often, which, which what what it comes down to, can he win it in the last quarter or late in the game with a championship on the line? And I just believed that that he had that in him.
0: Well, when you see him now and you see what he's done, you, you know, Ernie, you, you've, you're, not, you're an NFL lifer, okay? He started way back in 70 as a PR guy. Uh, you're an NFL lifer, but you, you know what it is? What have you done for me lately? And, and you know, I remember Parcells used to say to us about Phil Sims. He says, you know, you guys, someday you're going to say, you know, that number 11, he was pretty damn good. And, and two Super Bowls later for Eli, I kind of feel the same way. I don't think Eli gets the respect that he deserves. You agree or disagree?
2: Yeah, I mean, he because people evaluate, we're so into this. Statistics in this analytics mm. world now, he you know he's complicated. And if somebody told me about that about Yountas years later. He said john Unitas is complicated, but Yountas won in '58 and '59 in his mid twenties, and didn't win again until 1970 when he had really lost his fastball. And I remember Jimmy Cannon and Red Smith. I drove them to the airport after a playoff game in 1970 because they couldn't get a ride. It was the day after Christmas. In Baltimore, and they were talking, and I was, you know, hanging on every word. They were <laughs> they were sitting in the back seat, and Red Smith said, "You know, it used to be uh, kind of like watching Bob Feller, and now it's kind of like watching Eddie Lopat." And but my point is, he still had that fiber, that championship pedigree, stomach pedigree yeah. to to win a Super Bowl that year for us. And and I, I mean, Eli, listen, he's he's thirty whatever, he's thirty seven years old. So he, he, but he doesn't have. The glittering stats that a lot of quarterbacks and he's not going to have that that's not how he's going to finish his career, but he was drafted to win championships and he won two and and you know I'm not so certain he i mean i think he if the team you know plays better than than obviously than it did last year, but plays more like it did the year before and the they, the defense is okay i mean he's got it in him to win another one now he's going to win it a different way but but in both in both years that he won Russ he took the team down the field at the end to win the game. I mean,
0: not only that, Ernie. And listen, you had left as as fate has it. You left, you know, in two thousand and seven, and then they go ahead and win the Super Bowl. But in in that Super Bowl game, and listen, I want to take nothing, nothing away from David Tyree. You know, the catch, the helmet catch. Right. But that catch is not made if Eli doesn't make perhaps the most Houdini-esque escape that I've ever seen pulling away. Not only did he make that escape, but also earlier in the game, he threaded a needle to to um, uh, Tyree, th- th- that touchdown pass, which was like right, right on the money. I mean, it had to go right through a perfect window to make it.
2: Well, and, and here's the interesting thing about David Tyree. When we drafted him, we drafted him strictly as a special teams player. He, he was the best college special teams player I ever saw out of Syracuse. And we said, like, he's not going to be able to play other positions. He doesn't really – you don't see him on film at other positions. But this guy makes every tackle and every kickoff. But he started to become a little valuable as an a extra receiver. Well, the day before that Super Bowl, Jerry Reese – I didn't go to practice. Jerry Reese uh, came up to me in the hotel lobby and he said – David Tyree dropped every pass thrown to him. <laughs> he said, I hope he doesn't get in the game. Okay, how about that? All right. <laughs> and he makes the catch of the century. And it and it's funny, on that drive, I was sitting with my son and you know, I said to him, I said, I was taught by a great scout we had who played defensive back for the Colts, Milt Davis, you evaluate a quarterback with his ability to take the team down the field with a with a championship on the line and get in the end zone. I said, if Eli's what we thought he was, he does it now. It's fine if he does it on October 15th, but he's got to do it now, and he did it. Now he did it. You know, by, uh, that was a break, that catch. But, but the point, the next year that the next time he did it, right. I expected him to do it. In fact, he did it so quickly that he almost did it too fast. And I, I, I had full confidence he was going to take us down the field the second time. And, but he, you're right. I was sitting low on that side of the field when he escaped. On that play, and it was absolute blind determination. I mean, he was not going down. And you know, when he let the ball go, it was a good pass. It wasn't like it was a wobbler. It, it. But by the time it got to Tyree, you know, the defense had closed on him. But you know, he he made the play happen, and and that's what he does. I mean, that's the kind of and to me, the essence of Eli Manning was, was the game before. Uh, it was so bitterly cold, oh, goodness and, gracious. and you know, and Ronnie Barnes kept telling him. I mean, Favre had two gloves on, and Randy, Ronnie Ronnie Barnes kept telling him, Eli, forget about whether it's going to be effective. You're going to get frostbite in your fingers, and you'll ne- you'll never get the feeling back. You you've got to wear gloves. Refuse to do it, and you can remember the plays he made in that game.
0: Well, you know you know what. I was there in Green Bay, and I'll tell you, I remember just walking from my car because my cameraman dropped me off. I remember walking from the car. My, my coat was open literally 50 feet. I, I, I said to myself, oh, my God, how are they going to play in this? And, and really, to everybody's credit, well, I'm, we're just reminiscing a bit here, to everybody's credit, not just Eli, but I. I thought the receivers and Plaxico. They may. I don't know how they handled the ball. That that was, the people in that game. Every one of them on both sides deserved a whole lot of credit. That well,
2: Plaxico played with a separated shoulder, <laughs> and they tried to keep him out of the game. He wouldn't go. I mean, he's so underestimated as yep. a competitor. Yep. Uh, but no, that that's and and that's how I judge quarterbacks. I mean. You know, and I always have always been that way. And, and I mean, as I grew up in the business, you know, there were quarterbacks that scared the heck out of me to play against. The last thing I wanted to see is they would have the ball. Stabler was one, and he beat us in a double overtime on Christmas Eve when I was in Baltimore. And I held my breath on the tying drive to get get them in overtime. When certain quarterbacks that had great stats, you Hmm. thought, well, they're going to make a mistake. But there's certain quarterbacks that didn't have great stats And Stabler, such an example, just scared the heck out of me.
0: And then I thought, Ernie, I want your opinion on this. I thought one of his finest, uh, Eli I'm talking about, one of his finest ever, the epitome of toughness. You know, here's a guy everybody makes fun, you know, like he's not built, you know, he's not chiseled like a lot of other guys, even up prior quarterbacks. One of the most durable quarterbacks in the history of the National Football League. And boy, did he prove it in the NFC Championship game when, they, when he won his next Super Bowl. He took a pounding oh, in San, San Francisco, Francisco like nobody I have ever, ever seen. I, I, I'll tell you what. The only other time I remember a guy taking a pounding uh, like that, and I'm, I'm dating myself, I'm going to go back to the old AFL the year before Namath and the Jets won the Super Bowl. I don't know if you remember, Ben Davidson and Ike Lassiter broke broke Joe Namath's jaw, okay, broke no, And he just took a pounding as well. And I remember he played the final game of the season with a birdcage. That's when the big birdcage guys started wearing them. But Eli took a beating in that game like I've never seen.
2: Well, the defensive coaches uh, of the 49ers, Told me they hit him with everything they had, and he kept getting up off the mat, uh, and and that's I guess what I'm talking about with him, and and I just uh, you know if you looked at that body in 2004 and looked at Roethlisberger's body, I mean it's no contest to who was going to play every game and who was not, right? Okay, but but I don't take anything away from Roethlisberger because he stays in there and gets hammered. Uh, and he's a great, great quarterback. But but for Eli to survive all these years and you know what miss part of a game, I think that's it. Uh, it is just astounding, and it, it really doesn't speak to his you know it, to, to his body as much as it speaks to his resolve.
0: Yeah, uh, I I want to ask you one more question, kind of regarding well, it's not just so much Eli, but but the philosophy. Uh, that you may have had, uh, or and prior experience, uh, you know, going into that draft, way back, way back in '82 uh, and '83, you were the GM of, of course, the Colts. I think you were 0-8 and 1 in a strike-shortened season. Right. And you end up with the number one pick, and obviously, you know, as history will have it, p- people will know. Maybe they don't know. Uh, you wanted John Elway out of Stanford. Elway didn't want you. Uh, he, he said he would go with the Yankees. Uh, yada yada yada. Long story short, you end up having to make a deal, you know, with Denver. And Ed-
2: I didn't make that trade. Um, that's why I quit because I drafted, I drafted Elway, right. and the owner traded him without me knowing it. Mm-hmm. But the fact on him was: look, I was, I took over a, a franchise that was very proud. I was not going to sell that franchise down the river. He was the best player. Right. Now, I've had people tell me, well, Marino, our staff had Marino in the Senior Bowl. He would have played there. You should have picked Marino. I said, look, L.A. went to five Super Bowls, Marino went to one. I, mm-hmm. I picked the right player. Right. All right? Now, I had his baseball scouting report. I had gotten it from the Orioles. He wasn't a major league prospect, Russ. I knew that. And, and I was, you know, I, my feeling was he's a football player. And July 15th, if he's sitting 255 in Greensboro riding a bus, he's coming to camp, okay? <laughs> well, I offer him $5 million. Now, now nobody was making $5 million then, a right. million dollars a year. That's what I was prepared to offer him. And where I made my mistake is I told the owner, Bob Ursay that's what it was going to cost. I mean, no one was making close to that. And when he heard those numbers, he traded him. Yeah. And I found out on television. but. You know, Is that I, how
0: you found out on television? I was
2: watching the NBA playoffs and ESPN. Oh, my goodness. And all of a sudden, they show a live cut from the from the Denver offices. Edgar Kaiser was the owner. He comes in and sits down and announces it. I called Frank Cush, the coach I inherited there. Right. I said, are you watching the NBA playoffs? He said, I don't watch basketball. I said, you better put it on because they just ch- traded our quarterback. And that's how I found out.
0: Wow! Frank Kush was the guy out of was it Arizona, Arizona State. Arizona. I inherited
2: him, and I and I found out later actually from Jim Fossil, who was uh, very close and I was on Stanford staff and was very close to John. That that was the problem. And to, to always credit, he never he never exposed that. He never said that my father. You know, and there was obviously some problem between his dad and Frank Kush, probably over recruiting. Who knows? Right. But that was the problem. Uh-huh. And and I, I said, John, and John told me that later. I've gotten to be pretty friendly with John L.A. I said, you should have told me. I didn't hire John Frank Cush to begin with. Well, uh, you, uh,
0: know. you know, but the question I was going to ask, whether whether you were the guy who drafted him or not, you had to go through that whole thing where you had a guy, you know, was saying he wasn't going to come. And we know how it ended up. Because of that mindset having – to have gone through that and knowing Eli with his dad wanted to know part of, of San Diego. Did, did that make it, I don't know what's the word. I don't want to use the term easy, but did that kind of make it realistic to you? Yeah, we can get this guy because he doesn't want uh, San Diego.
2: Well, first of all, that, that whole experience, with Elway, which I thought was going to wreck my career, I was a young general manager. Sure. Uh, that I lost my innocence on that. I mean, people were going behind my back, trying to get to Ursa, uh... Wouldn't deal with me. They knew what I, I didn't want to trade him. I, mean, I was—I would have traded him for the greatest. Uh, I, I wanted the greatest compensation in the history of the league. I called Joel buzzard I said, "What's the most anybody's ever given for a player? If somebody when meets, meets that price, I'll—I'll I'll trade him, uh, and pick Marino." But I wasn't going to give him away. And and so I lost my innocence. That hardened me to figure if that's the game that's going to be played in this league. Well, then that's the way I'm going to play it. But but when it came down to Eli, Eli, you know, I've always believed I can't speak for him. That he took a softer stance, though. Mm-hmm. If you remember, he put the cap on. He put the Chargers cap on it at the draft. They didn't have that big staging when Elway was drafted. But he put the cap on. He was willing, you know, ready to go. I I don't it, look. I don't think it could have been done without Tom Condon, and I've told Tom Condon that i mean he was to me the most masterful of all the agents he, he, he i really i i trusted him uh listen I probably built a house for him on, on, on all <laughs> my career but but if, and you know you had to pay him, but you could trust him right. and i and he he you know eli Eli not only didn't want to play in i think he wanted to play in new york and and uh so we had an edge there. But I don't think they would have gone any further because they drafted him. He put the cap on. We didn't hear from the Chargers until seven minutes into our 15 minutes that we had. Fortunately, I didn't move. Usually I acted quicker, and I didn't. I, I just help, you know, kind of held my breath and said, well, you know, maybe he'll call. I had heard a rumor he might call, and, and he did. And he asked for you to manure for the fifth or sixth straight time, and I said, look, I am not passing – I'm not, I'm not trading a a premier pass rusher for a quarterback when my second choice of quarterback is pretty good. So that isn't going to happen. And then when he said, well, you know, would you give me next year's number one, I said yes. Now, we we were left with four draft picks. We got Corey Webster, Justin Tuck, and Brandon Jacobs.
0: Not bad. That's not true.
2: bad. I mean, so we – and those three guys, you well, know, well, really had a lot to do with winning. Sure. The so I, we did okay on that.
0: Yes, yes, you did, and you know, uh, Ernie. I, I guess you know a little bit about quarterbacks because then you you end up going. You're hired as a GM in '85 by the Browns. You're there for seven years. In the supplemental draft, you pick a guy by the name of Bernie Kosar. You know pretty damn good quarterback. Uh five playoff appearances uh with the Browns. Unfortunately, that your nemesis, your pain, right. your pain in the Tuchus, as they say in Yiddish was one Elway. You lose three AFC championship games all to Elway and the Broncos. They're
2: all heartbreak. Well, the yeah. last one was well, a little more y- decisive. Y- y- yeah. The first two were just excruciating. I mean, the, the first one, you know, it was the, the 99-yard drive, he hits a third and 18 uh, and Beto Cook, my friend, the ESPN sure. told me one time, he said, you know, you know, when they're giving, when a priest is giving you the last rights, you're still going to think of a third and 18 in that drive. He's right. Uh, but the next year we had the fumble, you know, on the goal line. I mean, those two were just as tough as it gets. But, yeah, we had a pretty good run there. And, and um, Kosar was, you know, Kosar had put us in position to win all, well, at least two of those games. So it wasn't his fault, our defense. And I, I, I learned a lesson there, Russ, we had a we had the best corner tandem in the league and we did not have pass rushers and i said that's never going to happen to me again and 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 what you know the giants have had very few pro bowl cor- corners and safeties they've had a lot of pro bowl pass rushers and i i realized then if if i'm going to have a strength position on defense it's going to be pass rushers not secondary and that's why we drafted so many pass rushers you know with the giants
0: yeah well you, well you know Ernie, you're no longer, you know, with with an official title with the Giants, but, I mean, anybody just hearing you talk knows you bleed uh, big blue. And, And, you know, before we just talk about the team today, you know, a lot of stuff has gone on the past few years. And you being a loyal guy, and he certainly was your guy who followed you, and you talk about fairness or unfairness, what have you done for me lately, um i i I know the pride that you had have had in in seeing Jerry Reese excel and win two super Bowls that had to be gut wrenching for you to watch him get beat up last year
2: it did because he you know he did so well uh i mean all, listen that that team was that he was part of it, but that team was pretty much well built when he took over he He had a great draft his first year with brad shaw and and the tight end boss and a few other guys but but you know we kind of put that team together together mm-hmm. and 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 I I felt listen our the choice came it was John Mara and and the Tish family's choice but it came down to the kettleman and Reese right i mean and i felt you know we we, we can't split our vote cuz i i didn't want anybody from the outside to get it right. i wanted one of those two guys to get it and i'll i'll never forget and i love jerry i mean i love him like like he's a, a brother and Dave was upset, and Dave Dave came to me and said, did you recommend Jerry over me? I said, uh, and I'm an honest guy, I said, I love you, Dave, but I did. And I said, I I don't know if I ever can take care of you, but if I can, I will. Now, little did I know that I was going to get these consultant gigs. I, I I wasn't planning that. I didn't form any company, but Jerry Richardson invited me to help him pick a general manager as fate would have it. Go ahead. Yeah. And it was gentleman. Unbelievable. So, it was, I, you know, I said to him, and then, of course, I recommend him for this job here. I said, I think I've overpaid my debt, Dave, because he got two general manager's jobs. But, but I mean, you couldn't lose with either guy. But, yeah, I, I really pained to see Jerry because, look, he did a great job. But I've been around the business long enough to, to know, what, you know, that season it started off, they lost some close games. The Philadelphia game was the – The most heartbreaking. And then all of a sudden, when it starts to spiral, you can't stop
0: it. Listen, I remember sitting at that game when three guys, of course, the most notable being uh, Odell, you know, breaking ankles. We just looked at each other. I think Amani was sitting to my right, and I forget who was sitting to my left. We just looked at each other and said, this is on. I think Antrell Roll was sitting with me. I, I, I was like, huh? What the hell is going on? I I mean, it it was just it was just mind boggling. But uh, as life works out and and you and I had a a private conversation, you know, we can talk about it now. But you talk about as fate would have it. Thank God. Thank God, as you told me, that Dave Gettleman was fired, Uh, eventually fired after taking them to a Super Bowl, fired by the Panthers. Because who knows what the hell would have happened because, as you said... Nobody would have taken care of him, and that's not the the Panthers. Nobody would have taken care of him physically uh, the way Ronnie Barnes, the Giants' longtime trainer and in charge of – well, he's more than a trainer. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, when they found out that he had cancer, I mean, think about it. it he, They might not have found out if he, if he was in Carolina.
2: Well, well not only that, uh, there was an ownership change. I mean, yeah. And, and the, the, you know, the owner who had hired him fired him. And now he's down there. I mean, he he might have friends. He didn't have friends down there like he's got here. Okay. And and Ronnie is the guy who pushed and pushed to get him tested. They thought it was his heart first. But you know, I always tell my kids if something looks bad for me, you call Ronnie first. Call a priest later. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Ron, Ronnie's a saint. He's yeah, a he saint. really he really is. I I, mean, I
0: I know Mr. Mara let him oh, rest in peace. He was like another son.
2: And he he spent every night in the hotel. Sleeping on a chair. I mean, in the hospital, sleeping on a chair in in Mister mayor's last three, four weeks. Yeah, and and uh, you know he would tell he would tell Mister Marrow. He said, "Look, I, I've got I can't be here tomorrow night because we have a game on the road." I mean, <laughs> and and but he he is he took care of 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 Dave. And I, listen, he would have gotten good medical treatment. They good hospitals down there. But when he came here, he came home, and and thank God it happened because. If it would have happened down there, uh, you know, who knows? Or if he stayed down there and didn't get this job.
0: Well, so I have to ask you this because, I mean, Dave has a personality a lot like you. I mean, he's a gregarious, outgoing, fun-loving guy uh Jerry's more closer to the vest i love jerry i, I have had a wonderful relationship with jerry I, I consider him a friend, a classy classy guy. What was the overall? I'm just curious we're talking history here what was what was the the what was the overriding factor that made you say i gotta go with Jerry as opposed to dave way back
2: you know that's a that's a, a not only a tough question it's almost impossible for me to answer i I mean, I, I I loved them both. I just had this feeling. Feeling. I, I mean, I look, Dave has turned into a tremendous general manager. I, I thought, Jerry, I kind of, and maybe, maybe this answers it better. When Dave became the pro personnel director, and he had been the assistant, when Tim Rooney retired, I called Jerry and, and said, you know, I want you to come up here as his assistant. And he came up, and he was living in, you know, West Tennessee, close to where he grew up in a beautiful house. For his family, two children and his, his wife, and he started check, checking the houses here. And he got went the sticker shock. I mean, he said, I can't, I can't come up here. You know, we we gave him a good increase, but he said, I can't, I can't afford to live up here. So, well, you're not going to duplicate that house in Tennessee. But I said, you have to come here, because if you don't come here, you're going to be an area scout for the rest of your life. I said, that's a nomadic life. You're not going to be used to the disciplines of the office to come in, deal with people. You've, you're going to be a general manager, but you've got to be here. Or you're not going to be a general manager. I that way back then, I saw general manager in him, mm. and I guess maybe it was he was a you know a rising star, and, and I was smitten by him, and I thought that that he had the big big ceiling. And I don't think it was any disparagement about Dave because Dave interviewed with the Tishes and which well, John knew him, but he interviewed him anyway. And, and they both love Dave too. Uh, so it, it listen, we, we couldn't lose on that one, but I had to pick a horse. And, and you know, like I said, I didn't want to split my vote and have somebody come in from the outside. Well, that's well, what,
0: yeah, go
2: ahead. I'm sorry. But that was my concern.
0: Well, well, fortunately Dave is doing extremely well. I, I know he's getting some, he's in remission. Uh, he, he's, I've seen him, you know, a, a good few times over at, at training camp. He looks great. I know he's getting some more treatment this week because, you know, th- that's what he has to do. Uh, but he's also kind of what the doctor ordered. What, what I mean by that, and, and you know this, uh, Ernie, uh, Jerry's strong point was not dealing with the media. You know, just the, the, the same goes for uh You know, Ben McAdoo, and and quite frankly, let's go to Ben's predecessor, uh, uh, Tom Coughlin. You know, Tom's first two, three years, uh, he wasn't getting any uh, rose petals thrown at him by by the media as well. But then you bring in the opposite. You bring in a gregarious guy, and and then you also bring in uh, that guy, being Dave Gettleman, brings in Pat Shermer, who, as he described him as an adult, and that was not a shot at, at meant to be taken at Ben McAdoo. No. Just the way he carries himself, this is the right combination following what happened last season.
2: It, it really was, and when, you know, John asked me to come back and help, as obviously it, it was his decision and Steve Tisch's decision, not mine, but, you know, my feeling from the start was this situation went south so fast, and we all saw it. It wasn't a normal seven and nine or you know type of erosion uh, that we we need a we need a vet veteran in here. Now Dave you know Dave was sixty six, but I thought I mean who who thought saw this coming? Yeah, but I did. thought he was very virile, very healthy, uh, full of pep. I you know it, it was all George taught me. He said always make sure that when you hire a coach that they have fire in their belly, and and he had fire in his belly, and you know he was still smarting a little bit from being the Smith coming off a. Two years after a Super Bowl, a year after a Super Bowl, and and uh, he, I thought, you know, that we we need a man in here right now, not a prospect. Yeah. And he was, you're right, he was exactly what the doctor ordered. And then I watched him. I wasn't involved in the coaching decision, but I watched him through that. And I talked to him all the time. I love his thinking. Uh, you're right, he's so expressive. You know, he he he's transparent. What what you see is what you get, and. And he's just ideal for for the organization, and I, I thank God he's he's in remission and doing very very well.
0: Yeah, for, for sure. You know, a lot of guys, Ernie. Uh, listen, you started in this league in, in in 1990 as the PR director for the Colts. Okay, 1970. What I say, 99. No, no, yeah. I meant 70 to. I 70. wish I wish yeah. I was 28 years <laughs> yeah, old. In 1990. Yeah, yeah. No, I meant to say <laughs> seven, yeah. 70 to 74. You know, a lot of guys. You know, from if you will, yesteryear. You know, a lot of people say, ah, and you hear it in all sports. They couldn't, they couldn't do it today because of the way the world is, and you know, social media and this and that. I look at you, though, as a guy. Maybe that's because of your PR background. So you got it. I, I think you know you could do it today. I, I think that's why you, you are a terrific consultant, and, and you could do it today. Do you think you would have the stomach to deal with? for lack of a better term, the bullshit that you got to deal with today.
2: Well, the two things that would... uh I could I, say
0: that on on no, podcast. No. Okay,
2: <laughs> but there're two things that would that would, you know, I think about boy I wouldn't want to deal with. Number 1 would be the technology. I I don't know. Everything's over the computer and I, you know, I I used to turn put a tape in the machine and watch it. Right. Um uh, in fact, they put one of these newfangled deals with a computer where you could dial up any player on my desk. During my last year, and I, I told the computer guys, get this the hell out of here. I, 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 don't, I don't even want to learn it for six months, okay? But the other thing would, would be, you know, I loved, I loved the media. I mean, I had been a member of the media. Sure. so I love talking to them. Listen, they rapped me, and I understood that was part of the game. When I was a writer covering the 76ers for the Philadelphia Inquirer, I rapped. Business manager, who I thought was fattening the crowd, who I went to college with. So I mean, I understood. The, I understood the business, but we went to get dinner together. We we debated things. Th- so much was off the record. I love the interaction, as like Casey Single used to say, "My writers," you know. Right. I mean, it was it was fun. It's totally different today because you have eight million people that have blogs or websites. You don't even know who they are, and and I don't know that I I would really want it from a technical standpoint as far as football, uh, I think I could, because in my consulting, the one thing I've, I have, I'm contacted by a lot of young, aspiring GMs, and I talk to all of them, because I figure the one way I can give back is is to do the best I can for young kids who, are on, who wanted to be what I wanted to be. Um, and I had George Young and Jim Finks and Don Klosterman and people like that whose brains I picked, and and I, so I want to make myself available, but I tell them very simply Study, you know, study the Steelers, three coaches in fifty years. Study the Giants, three general managers in forty years. Hmm. Study the, the San Francisco Giants, okay? That way they no flash. People don't even know who the heck the general manager is. You know, study the Red Wings, twenty-two straight players. See how they operate. The Golden State Warriors. Anybody know their GM? I don't even know his name. You are right? Yeah, and study those. I mean, it, it it doesn't do any good to study the Patriots because. You, if you want to, win that you, you got to find Belichick, right? Okay, I mean, it's the, listen. He he has built a great organization, but it's the strength of his his brilliance. It's just like Bill Walsh. It's the strength of their brilliance, and that's why you know I'm not so sure. Like San Antonio, if Popovich wasn't there, would they be that? You know, would they be able to sustain it? I'm talking about organizations that have continuity and win and win and win, and and you know, I I, I study the Cardinals. They did it for years and years, and they've they've got off the tracks a little bit. And I I hear Keith Hernandez, who I, who I think is a great analyst, yeah. and he, he has a spot you know soft spot for the Cardinals because he started there. And he said, you know, they've kind of lost their way. They they don't go by the Cardinal way anymore. I study that kind of stuff, so I think I know what it takes to continue to win and to win consistently. But the one thing that would would really get me would be the technology. I, I don't know how they do. I, I don't even know what they do. Maybe I would have adapted, but I didn't grow up in it. I, I just don't know if I could.
0: Yeah. Ha- having you on with me, and I'm, I'm going to ask you one more question before we get to, you know, the current state of affairs with, with the Giants. But, you know, George Young brought you, and and I remember a story you told me, and and it, it really warmed my heart because I got a special place for George. George was another guy who who... You know he had that dry sense of humor he 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 could break balls he he knew how to he knew how to do it but he also had a big heart and and I remember you telling me uh you said he he didn't you came in ninety four but he did didn't want you to come until he made the decision on Phil sims yes. because he didn't want you to be part of what was arguably might have been the most unpopular decision ever made by a general manager, you know, with the Giants. I mean, he let Phil Simms go. And, you know, listen, Phil Simms wasn't just a favorite of the people. Phil Simms was a favorite of the owner. I remember John Mara telling me when he drove his dad home that day, he sat in the car absolutely despondent. But George said, Ernie, don't come until I take care of this.
2: Correct? Exactly. In fact, you know, he... George and I, George started a year before me in Baltimore. We we made the same salary. We had comparable jobs. He was a, a scout. I was a PR director. We only had six people in the organization. And the first night, Russ, uh, I, first of all, Steve Rosemont came around and introduced me. It didn't take long. The organization was a, it was a row house, and it was small. <laughs> and he took me up to George's cubicle. And, you know, I, I didn't know. I knew who George was as a player. You know, I remember him at Bucknell. I grew up in Pennsylvania. He puts his hand up. Um, Steve says, I want, I want you to meet our new PR director, Ernie. Of course, he, he, he put his hand up and didn't look at me. <laughs> that's, that's George. And he says to me, did you go to a reading and writing school? Okay. He, I knew I had him because he went to Bucknell and I went to Wake Forest. They're very similar, small private schools. And, and I said, I went to Wake Forest. He look, then he looked at me and said, okay. Well, all right. That's all he said. So, but, but he was grumpy. That night I, went, I was staying at a cheap motel. The Colts didn't even pay my way. Then I drove down from Penn State, didn't even pay my trans transition expenses. I'm staying at a cheap motel and there's a one of those rustler steakhouses, a dollar ninety nine steak yep, yep. with benches, and I go in there, that's my dinner. There's Lovey and, and George. George
0: Lovey, his lovely wife yeah.
2: Lovey. And 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 then we start and George says, Join us, okay? So we're talking and we hit it off immediately. I know this is a long-winded answer. To no, question, it's okay. It's okay. We hit it off immediately, and Lovey says, "I'm not going to listen to this anymore. I'm <laughs> taking the car home. You take George home." Okay. <laughs> so, so we sat there for hours. We hit it off from from day one, and we were. When I went to Cleveland, uh, we talked three, four times a week, always seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. You know, he would still be in the office. He'd call me, and and he he was. We were so close. He so he calls me to the Baltimore Country Club and he said the first thing he said to me I, I I knew something was up. He said uh I I don't I was working for the Orioles. I was pretty happy, you know. I, and he said I don't want to ruin your life. I said w- what are you talking about? He said well I want you to come to New York and and uh and he, so he offers me the job and and it's like June 20th. So I said uh can you give me a few more bucks? I could barely gave me more money than I was making as a, <laughs> you know, as a, a guy with the Orioles down way down the food chain. So he he uh, he went up a little bit. So I said, okay. I said, when when do I tell Peter Angelos? He said, not yet. He said, I got something to do, that I want you to be a part of. He didn't tell me what it was.
0: Oh, okay. He so he he never even told
2: you. Well, not what, yet, not right, yet. So okay. so I called him back and I, I said, well, look, this is going to leak. It, it, nothing stayed, and he said, Well, wait i i we got to get rid of Phil Sims. I do not want you to be a part of it and and don't do any don't tell Peter Angelus, do I tell you so I waited, and I eventually told Peter Angelus on the Fourth of July It was a, a night game, and i he he said, okay, go ahead, and I went up to him during that game and told him I was leaving Wow, but that's that's George I mean you know there george's is, there isn't a day. Well, when I was working there wasn't a day we didn't quote George in that office and it, and and now I and I still think of him. We every time I'm with Ronnie Barnes where I have dinner with once every month at least mm-hmm. we we quote we George's stories are just classic. Oh, you know I <laughs>
0: I'll tell you to me the, the line of all lines that George there were two lines. Two lines that George would say. One, he'd sit across, especially when when he was at his let's say heaviest, and he used to sit with the napkin on, on his chest and, a, and his hands on his chest. And, and for example, let's say he's talking to me. He says, "Well, you know, you know, what's it gonna, you know, it, what's it gonna take to sign Odell or this guy, Russ? It's always about the money. Yeah, Russ, it's always about the money. Right. And his other one was when you had a, a coach." Let's say it was Fossil, okay? I'm going to say it was Fossil, the offensive guru. <laughs> and and George would say, "I just wonder when the guru is start is going to start
2: guruing." Oh, that's one of his great. <laughs> that's ones. One, of his no, great that's ones. one of his great. That's one of his great. ones. <laughs> I mean, he he had he had such a way of putting things. And I'll never forget the night that I was named he he was already the general manager of the Giants and I'm named General, it was an impromptu accident. He's talking about the book, "Accidental President." Ursa comes into my office. He says, "I just fired Szymanski. He was doing training. I mean, mini camp." He said, "I just fired Szymanski. You want to be the GM? And I can't give you any more money uh, than you're making." And I, he said, "And by the way, give me that Exxon." credit card that i gave you give me that back i said so i'm getting a pay cut frankly (laughs) so i took the job and i called george immediately i said what can i do it was he was going to fire me or hire me or give me maybe gm so he when i was in my little office so monday he called me and he says to me when does the procession begin i said what procession the, the the coronation when do you start moving your stuff to Szymanski's big office I, I mean he just had a way he he was just yeah he was great. unbelievable
0: I, I i think about him I, I think all of us think about him a lot in fact i, I yeah. just came, I before i came here to talk to you today uh, i i was at giants practice and you know longtime uh beat writer of the giants for the record i was talking with you know vinny detrani yeah. and just george's name he he just comes up uh all the time, but ha- having said that le- okay, let's get to this current team. They were three and thirteen last year. Um, this team, I think is is can be really, really good now a, a lot of people would say er- ernie, you know if you go from three and three to eight and eight, that would be you know a marked improvement. But I don't think that's satisfactory for anybody involved with the organization. What do you think?
2: No, I agree. And and look, I think I don't want to simplify it because a lot of people have to play well. It's coming down to the offensive line. Mm -hmm. That's what it's going to come down to. Because the quarterback can still win, he's got to be protected. And, you know, I've always realized one thing about quarterbacks it's not, are they getting protection? is do they trust protection? If they, don't, if they don't think they're going to be protected, they're going to play like they're not getting protected. I mean, he's shaved a good full second off his delivery now in the last couple of years to get rid of the ball. Okay? But if they want the running game to flourish, and certainly the passing game, they've got to protect the passer. It's got to start there. The defense played well two years ago. The one thing about the defense, the Super Bowl-winning defenses were homegrown. I mean, Antonio Pierce was added, uh, you know, but for the most part, it was homegrown. This defense was kind of put together through free agency. So there's a difference now. These guys don't want to really admit it, but when they're drafted and raised in a certain organization, it means a little different to them. They've got the roots of of that organization. So, you know, last year when it started going south, and nothing happened well. I think that this year it, that will we'll get back to where they were two years ago. I think this team has a, a chance to be very good. I think that, like I said, the two things to me that are the most important thing is the offensive line, and they've got to get off to a decent start. I don't mean five and one, but they've got to hold the fort early. they've they got to be around three, three and three or four and two. they've got to get off to a good start. A decent start they can yeah. have a good year.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think they got to have kind of the luck that they had a few years ago with, as you say, the defense. Because I remember John Mara telling me, he said, you know, what we're doing is, is dangerous. Uh, it's very, very hard to rebuild something, you know, through free agency. Yes. And he went and they signed Snacks. They signed Olivier Vernon. And they signed um, Jackrabbit, Janoris Jenkins. Right. They signed... Th- they stepped in shit with those three guys. I mean, th- those three guys didn't just come in and play; they provided tremendous leadership. They were presence both on the field and in the locker room because I saw them and spoke to them every day. But having said that, like as you say, everything went south um, last year. You know, right. you know they they had that eleven and five season when the guys arrived. I think they need to get lucky. You know, they had sold they got solder now and Momame. Uh, what's his name? Um, jalapio right. um i don't know i don't know what do you, th- do you what do you think they're going to do with the center position because i really like the kid brett jones
2: i don't i don't know those guys i haven't been okay. out there yet okay and I, I don't know those guys well enough I, I i do know dave though and dave isn't bringing in anybody in in here to play particularly in the lines the two lines that he doesn't think is sound i want to mention one other thing about two years ago that a lot sometimes' is overlooked Study who beat them and who didn't beat them. They got lucky. There were two or three quarterbacks that were out. And they, uh, when they played the Detroit quarterback, his finger was in a the splint. They played all, against a lot of second stringers. Other than Prescott, who I don't consider yet to be a premier quarterback, the premier quarterbacks beat them. And and they so they didn't beat great quarterbacks that year. They got lucky on who, who they played uh, against in the
0: eleven and five season. Yes, yeah.
2: in the okay. eleven and five season. So that was a factor too. And I saw that coming. and That's what scared me about it. And they get in the playoffs, and Rodgers beat them. And and um, but I I think Dave's acquisitions are sound. There a lot of those defensive acquisitions and even the offensive line. I uh, you know he knows he knows linemen, particularly offensive linemen. So I don't know the players. I would. I would be bluffing if I tried to you know, evaluate
0: it. Well, I'll tell you, one, one guy, you know, before we talk to his, his top draft pick, of course, which is Barkley, but the kid that they got, uh, I mean, he was doing a uh, an Irish jiggy. was so happy, Dave, uh, with Will Hernandez. And, oh, yeah. I'll, and I'll tell you, when you look at this kid, and I'm not just talking about him on the field, I, I mean – he is, he's a man. And, and, and as Dave likes to say, I want, you know, I, I need my offensive linemen and my defensive linemen, especially guys in the middle there. I need them having that angry edge, that, that meanness, because that's a violent position. And this kid has that makeup, I believe.
2: Well, you know what he reminds me of? And not in personality, if you, if you talk to him. I think in plain personality, though. Well, we had that line put together that won the Super Bowls. Nobody thought it was a great line. Hmm. Uh and you know we we drafted Dave Deal as a right tackle. He ends up playing left tackle in two World Championship teams. But we need we didn't have. I mean we got McKenzie from the Jets was a free agent. But we didn't have a high draft pick in that line. And, and if if you know my history, I'm not picking a guard at the top of the second round. Okay, I'm picking a pass rusher or a skilled player. I'm just not doing it because I think you can find guards. But we needed Chris Snee We needed a nasty tough guy who was a natural leader, although, God, he didn't say a word, uh, at least outwardly, uh, that, that anchored that line and gave it some meanness. And and I see it, and now Hernandez is a little more expressive than Chris, the same type of addition. And uh, Snee was a, a really an underrated player. I mean, he was a tremendous player for us, but he gave us something we lacked. In the interior of that line, and I think that's what her, that's what this kid's going to
0: do. You know, you bring up S- Snee, so I I have to ask you. I'd be remiss if I didn't. You know, uh, no no secret. Snee was you know is not was is Tom Coughlin's you know son-in-law. Was it, was that a kind of situation where like you had to go to to Tom and say, listen, we want to draft him, what do you think? Because listen, that could be touchy, you know, for it, all parties concerned. You know, how do you go about that, that? was
2: an interesting case, and, and I, I don't think I've ever said this publicly, but but you know, we had to, uh, he was either the first or second pick in the second round, and you start making mock drafts and analyzing and and you know, not only me uh, picking guards too high, the league doesn't pick guards real high, unless they're all world, okay? So, I sat there with Jerry, I said, I'm telling you right now, um, we're going to have a decision to make you know, on Snee. He, it, he's going to fall to us, and, you know, uh, we're going to be sitting there with Snee. So uh, at the time, you know, I, I don't think they were married yet. So whether they were or not doesn't make any difference. It's still uh, – Coughlin gonna going to have to coach, it, if they're married, the son-in-law. No. So I went to Tom, and I said, look, probably the only time I'm ever going to say this to you – and all our time working together, if it's coming down to Steve, I can tell you right now, can can you deal with this or not? If you say no, we're not drafting him. I mean, that's a family thing and a personal thing. It affects not only your family but the chemistry of our team. If you say I don't want to, I don't want to get into that. It's not like we're passing up Eli. You know, I mean, right. okay. So he said, "Let me think about it." So he, I did, this was right before the draft. So now it's draft day, and I look. I'm watching the clock tick off. I'm saying, there's no question. This is coming down. So we're about three picks away, and and I said to him, Tom, I, I need an answer. We're going to pick Chris Knee. Can you, is is it okay with you or not? And he dialed Judy, his wife, right from the draft room, <laughs> and said, Can what, what you're thinking? We're going to pick Chris. And, you know, I don't have any idea what she said. He hung up. He said, if he's the best player, pick him. That's exactly what happened.
0: Well, and and certainly, you know, a couple of Super Bowls later. Yeah, he
2: turned out to be a a huge
0: pick for us. Yeah, let's hope hope Mr. Hernandez works out the same way. One other guy, before we say goodbye, obviously, you know, Saquon Barkley. You know, you talk about the running game. But the one thing I think, and I'm anxious to hear what you have to say on this, Ernie, before I bid farewell to you, is I think Barkley's going to give them something that they haven't had in a long time. A really big, a, a really good back catching a ball out of the backfield. Like, like I'm not just talking about the running game. I'm talking about the catch and running game.
2: Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's kind of a lost art. I mean, a lot of times you'll see them throw to the backs now, but they're short games, they're checkdowns, they're because right. the receiver's not open or they're running out of time. And, and, you know, a lot of times I quote ancient history, but that's all part of my experience. And it's not because they're from the same school. He's not, he doesn't have a body like Lenny Moore, but he reminds me of Lenny Moore, who, who was a great running back. He averaged seven yards a carry three different years, but he also gained 100 yards in pass receiving in both 58 and 59 championship games. And he he, he was a long ball threat as a as a a pass receiver. I've said this before, and I actually, Franklin just said it recently, that that offense that Penn State ran did did not do him any favors. That was that read option. And as good as the quarterback is, I watched every game. I watched every Penn State game. Right. And as good as the quarterback is, everybody that played them said, Barkley's not going to beat us. We'll live with the quarterback. Okay. And and they gang-tackled him. Almost, every play. almost everything he did was either a draw or a swing out of the backfield or he did he, or he outran the the penetration and what he he made so many big plays out of the backfield so I agree with you I think he with this offense that Schumer's going to run I think he's going to be dangerous as a distance threat as a receiver and uh I agree I think I mean you know, I've never seen anyone with with legs. Oh that my big.
0: goodness! Uh, you know what? I every time I see him, I, I was saying that today. Those, those legs, and especially like for a guy who runs fast, I've never seen legs like that, both calves and thighs. Well, not but, in a
2: sprinter. I've seen it in a fullback. Yeah, be, you know, Marion Motley, but I, 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 where they're power backs. But this guy has sprinter speed. No, I,
0: it's unbelievable. And
2: I've seen him where, where I'm watching the game and. He's busted something. He's broken out of that mess back there where they have that. I hate that offense with you know that read option where they jet all everything jammed up and right. and he he's busted out of there and flipped out on the left you know the wide part of the field and he's now game you know he's down the field twenty yards but the safety's got an you know an angle on him and it, he doesn't break the tackle he kicks it up to another outruns him yeah. and and it, I mean I said I've never seen anyone with legs like that have that kind of sprinter speed. And I think he's going to be, God, I hope he stays healthy. He, I think he's going to be a great player. Yeah. And, and
0: uh, I, I think he opens it up for the receivers, and the receivers open it up for him, the left hand, you know, the, the hip bones connected to the knee bone and whatever they call it. You know what I'm talking about.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know what's funny? I've had this vision, and I'm just – fantasizing that. I have this vision in the opening game of him busting what about 65 yards. I, you know, it seems like the great ones always do that yeah. when they get their debut, but yeah, I think he's going uh, to give that offense a big shot in the arm.
0: Yeah, well, Ernie, this has been great. You know, the one thing, it struck me last night, I, I was just making some notes, and I realized in all the time that I know you, and I knew you went to Wake Forest, I never brought this up. I went to Brooklyn Tech here and we had a guy end up going to Wake Forest who I think, well, not I think, he played basketball. I And I think he was either the first or the second basketball player to have his number retired at Wake Forest. Charlie Davis.
2: Oh my god, yeah, he's one of the greatest. Yeah, you no, know,
0: not only one of the greatest, I'm proud to say, you know, he's from you know, Brooklyn Tech High School here. He um and for the last 6 months he had to go down to Lornberg Institute in North Carolina, but Right. but Charlie um he was just he he was to me t- when they talk about this guy's the greatest high school player and that guy's the greatest high school player Charlie was spectacular, and he was also, proud to say, the first African-American ACC player of the year.
2: Well, Char- and Lenny Chappell just died, who yes. took us to the Final Four when I was in school. But what the argument has always come down to the argument, they're the two greatest players in, in the history of Wake Forest, and, and they're totally different. One was a big guy, in the inside, slow, but... Averaged thirty points a game. The other one was just a, a brilliant player. But I, Charlie Davis is probably the greatest player to ever play. The other alumnus of Brooklyn Tech is Al Erner, who was one of the dearest friends I've ever had, who bought the Cleveland Browns. Right, and he was a part owner of the of the Browns when I was there with the minority owner, with Modell. I, I did not know that. Yeah, who I thought was Pete Rosell and Al Erner are two smartest people I've ever been around in my life. They, they were both just the same type of guy, low key. But yeah, he's a he's a graduate of Brooklyn Tech.
0: Well, Ernie, listen, my friend, it has been a pleasure. I can talk to you. We're we're, we're almost up on an hour. I can talk to you for three hours. Uh, your knowledge, the way you are, as they say, you're a real mensch. So well, I, I, I,
2: I'm I'm, I, I'm happy to hear that word because I I know what that word means. Y- but it, Russ, it's, it's it's always a pleasure being with you, and you're a dear friend, and I really enjoyed it.
0: We will do it again soon, my friend. Thank you again.
2: Okay, bye bye. All right.
0: Ernie Acorsi, everybody. My thanks to him. And, of course, my thanks to uh, all of you for getting a load of this. And now i like to get a load of you. Tell me your thoughts on, uh, you know, today's uh, conversation with the one and only Mr. Ernie Acorsi. You can let me know on Twitter at Russ Salzberg or on Facebook. And you can also get a load of my website. Very easy. Just go to russsalzberg.com. That's real simple for you. My thanks, as always, to my producer here. Mike Caragliano, better known as Crash. Also, my thanks to 77 WABC News Director Craig Schwab, to 77 WABC Assistant News Director Matt Dahl, and as always, use you people out there. That's right, use people, because without use people, I'd have nobody here to talk to. So until next week, it is this guy saying to use people, bye bye, so long, and farewell.